Thanks for listening to audio from North Monroe. To learn more about who we are, visit northmonroe.com or download the North Monroe app in the App Store or on Google Play. Now, here's this week's message. Good morning, everybody. It's good to be together worshiping today on Lord's Supper Sunday. You know, if you ask me to describe this generation in two words, I would say mad and sad. To me, that seems to be the world around us. They're mad about the way things are going, or they're sad about the way things have turned out. They're mad about uh, what somebody's doing, or they're sad about what somebody has done. They're mad or sad. Some of them are mad and sad. But you know, that's not us. That's not how we're to be. We're called to joy. The faith in Christ is a leaping, dancing joyful thing. And we should be people of joy. Uh, Joy is one of the fruits of the Spirit. Uh, The Bible says, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. This is the day the Lord has made. I will rejoice and be glad in it. God has given us this day and we are called to joy. Uh, The scripture says, the joy of the Lord is our strength. So we've been talking about following God, and uh, it started with the dream. I said, we all need a dream. Without a dream, we drift, right? And the dream needs to be big. It needs to be a God dream. You don't want to dream a dream that, that won't outlast you. Our dreams need to be eternal. But sometimes as we follow God, we get lost. Sometimes we feel lost. Sometimes we are lost. And sometimes we get stuck, and sometimes we get frustrated, And all the time that we're pursuing God, He's preparing us for that moment. We talked about that last time, about that that defining moment that He brings us to, that we make sure we're prepared. And then when that moment comes, we seize that moment. But I want to add one more thing to this before we leave this uh, journey on following God, and that is enjoy the trip. Enjoy the journey. Our model today is Paul. And I know what you may be thinking, Paul? Paul is our example of joy because when I think of Paul, I don't really think of a joyful guy. Do you? I tend to think of an intense guy, a serious guy, a forceful guy, but I don't necessarily think of a joyful guy. And so I did this uh, word study and I looked up the words joy, rejoicing, rejoice, and joyful. Who uses those words most in the Bible? Well, they show up most in the Psalms. But then again, the Psalms are poetry. They're songs that were written for public worship. So naturally, those, those verses are going to have a lot about joy and how we worship God joyfully. But if you move away from the non-poetic and you look for one writer who uses those words, joy, rejoicing, more than anyone else, it's Paul particularly in the New Testament. You say, well, that's because Paul wrote most of the New Testament. Actually, he didn't. Luke wrote most of the New Testament. If you combine Luke and Acts together, which most scholars would say were written by the same guy, there is more there than all of the letters of Paul put together. And yet in the Pauline letters, you see these words uh, occur uh, like 45, 50 times, whereas in Luke's writing, you see them about 20 times. So about twice as often in Paul as is in Luke. So if you were a techie guy and you did a word cloud of rejoice and joy, then Paul is far and away the guy who stands as the unparalleled champion of joy and happiness. 
So let's learn from Paul. I don't have a a single verse, but we're going to camp out most of this morning in the book of Philippians, which, by the way, is a book of joy. And we start with this. I find joy when I recall his blessings. You see, here's the thing. Joy is a choice. That's what a lot of people don't get. We think of joy and sorrow as waves that that wash over our lives. Sometimes I get washed in a wave of sorrow. Sometimes I get washed in a wave of joy. And so my response to that is going to be whatever wave is washing through my life at that time. But it really doesn't work that way. I heard a person one time say, it's more like there are these two parallel tracks, like a train track that run through your life. And one of them is sorrow and one of them is joy. And those two tracks run through every moment, every experience of our life. And we determine our reaction based upon which track we focus on. So if you focus only on the hurts and heartaches, then get ready for some misery. If instead you focus on the blessing, then your heart gets lighter. And we see this in Paul in Philippians. Paul writes Philippians from He's actually under house arrest in Rome, so he's in prison in Rome. He's confined and in chains. And he could have focused on his chains But instead, we see a man who focuses on the chain breaker. And that's all the difference. Philippians chapter 1, verse 12. And I want you to know, my dear brothers and sisters, that everything that's happened to me here has helped to spread the good news. For everyone here, including the whole palace guard, that's the praetorian guard, that's the guard that guarded, that's the Roman legion that guarded Rome. And most scholars will tell you that the gospel primarily was introduced to Rome through its military. The whole palace guard knows that I am in chains because of Christ. And because of my imprisonment, most of the believers here have gained confidence and boldly speak God's message without fear. Here's a man who's in prison, and I've got to tell you, if I'm in prison, what am I talking about? I'm talking about my prison. I'm talking about my chains, I'm talking about the food, I'm talking about the isolation, I'm complaining about the loneliness, I'm doing... That's what we do, isn't it? He never mentions it. He just says everybody else knows that I'm in chains, but instead his focus was on the chain breaker, on what God is doing. Hey, look, God is using my captors as my captive audience, and I'm able every day to pour the gospel into these guys. So how did he do that? Well, first you have to be intentional. God has given you a will. And He's empowered that will through the Holy Spirit. Use your will. I find it interesting that in our world today, we like to talk about how we feel. And everybody likes to talk about how they feel. Whereas God talks about what our will is called to do. And here's what I've discovered. When you use your will to focus your attention, that changes the way you feel. And the question is, are you going to be driven by your feelings or are you going to be driven by your intentions? Listen to Philippians 4, verse 8. And now, dear brothers and sisters, one final thing. Fix your thoughts. Set your mind. Use your will. Fix your thoughts on what is true and honorable and right and pure and lovely and admirable. Think about things that are excellent and worthy of praise. In other words, joy is a perspective you choose. That's the first thing. Second thing is you have to be grateful. And we see this in Philippians 4, verse 6. He says, be anxious for nothing. This is one of those verses that uh, we hear a lot. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything, in everything, 
Good, bad, and different. In everything, by prayer and supplication, look at this, with thanksgiving, you got that? Let your requests be made known to God. And what happens? The peace of God, which surpasses understanding. It's incomprehensible. It passes understanding. Will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. He says, uh, I love what the living translation says, don't, don't worry about anything, but pray about everything. And notice he says that we're to ask for what we need. He says, let your request be made known to God. I talk to some people and they're like, oh, I can't really tell God what I need or what I want because I always got to pray, God, your will be done. And I'm like, okay, I get it. And we have this overarching concept that God's will needs to be done. And every, God, why don't we do this? We'll pray once in our life. God, I want to preface everything I say after this with the assumption that you're sovereign and I'm not. So I want your will done, okay? We'll settle that. I walk in that. But then the word says, let your request be made known to God. There's nothing unspiritual about asking God for what you want or need. So ask him. I was at this conference one time and Swindoll was speaking and he was told the story about this 30-something-year-old lady in the church and she was still single and she was really struggling with her singlehood and she really wanted to find that guy, just get that guy. And so she went and talked to Swindoll and he said, look, you just need to pray about it. In earnest prayer, let your request be made known. So the woman went out and got a pair of men's pants and she hung them on the corner of her bed. And every evening when she would go to bed, she would pray, Okay, Lord, here I stand, and here's these pants. Now please fill them with a man. And it worked. Guy comes into her life. They find, meet each other. They fall in love. They get married. So months after that, he tells the story to his church. Here's what happened. She puts the pants on the bed. She prays, and that happens. About a month or two after that, this couple come to him, and they say, we're really concerned about our 20-something-year-old son. And and Chuck's like, why? They weren't there the day he told the story. They said, well, every night before he goes to bed, he takes a woman's bikini and hangs them on the corner of his bed. (laughs) And Chuck said, oh, don't worry about that. He's just praying in faith. (laughs) It's okay to ask God for what you want, but look at what it says, with thanksgiving. And that gratitude in our heart changes everything. The gratitude changes your attitude. You got that? When we're grateful, it changes our perspective. Gratitude changes our attitude. Because instead of only focusing on what I lack, I also focus on what I have. And I look back and I say, God, you've blessed me in this. I'm thankful for this. I'm thankful for this. I'm thankful that you answered this prayer. I'm thankful. And you see how this this perspective of gratitude begins to shift the focus away from me. But God, here's a need I have. And when I walk in that kind of gratitude, I have joy. And so we walk in joy. You let your request be made known, but you do it with thankfulness. Be thankful in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you. 1 Thessalonians 5.18, who belong to Christ Jesus. Secondly, I find joy when I walk in His presence. Psalm 16, verse 11. You will show me the way of life, granting me the joy of your presence. You know, isn't that interesting that when you walk with God, His presence is a joy. When you don't walk with God, His presence is terrifying. 
He says, you will show me, granting me the joy of your presence and the pleasures of living with you forever. And Paul knew what this was. He knew what it was to walk in his presence. Sometimes we forget, we lose sight of him. And it's easy to begin to feel that we're isolated and alone. And we've learned some of the devastating consequences of living in isolation. We weren't intended to live that way. And yet when that happens, we forget about the presence of God and we lose that joy. When I came out of college, man, I was convinced I was about to set the world on fire. I had a degree in ministry and I had worked hard for that degree. And I had a year of youth ministry experience. Who doesn't want me? I'm thinking the whole world's going to want me. In fact, it's going to be hard to sort out all these offers I'm going to have from all these churches who can't wait to get a gift like me. And then it turned out nobody wanted me. Nobody wanted me. I wound up in a little stone-cold dead First Baptist Church in a stone-cold dead little town. In fact, if you look up the word dead church in the dictionary, there's a picture of that church. Had 15 kids, none of them walking with Jesus. And I was pouring my life into them, and I was making $135 a week with my college degree. And they had put me up in a motel, that's where I lived, um, in a little local motel, kind of one of those motels sometimes they rent by the hour, you know. And, and I had a room, and I had a bed, and I had a nightstand and a TV, and I had a bathroom. That's it. One time I got the flu, and I thought I was going to die, and I thought, if I die in this hotel room, nobody will even know. It'll be like three or four days, they'll find the dead body of the youth minister. And at the deacon meeting, they'll go, well, we had another youth minister die at the hotel. Now we got to go find another one. You know, it's that kind of deal. And I, I, I was at this deal, and I heard this guy say this. He said, wherever you are, God is there. And if God is there, then so is joy. You see, it was hard on me because I was so isolated. There was nobody in that church my age. There was very few people in that town my age. And I had no prospects, no future. I'm single. I'm looking for, you know, future Miss Die. There's nobody around. And this guy says, wherever you are, God is there. And if God is there, then joy is there. And I just fell on my face and said, God, I'm going to find joy in this miserable place. I'm going to find joy right in these circumstances. And you know what? It changed my life. That was one of the defining moments of my life, whether I could find joy in that place. Now, that didn't mean I wanted to stay in that place. And I kept letting my request be made known to God. About a year later, God opened the door and I found a new assignment and Amy was thrown in as part of the bargain. But God had changed me before He changed my circumstances. And I believe that's what God does in those situations. And so we have to realize that we find joy in His presence. And then I find joy when I serve His purpose. Here's where real joy happens. And this is sad to me because so many people in churches miss this because they never transition from sitting to serving. And they'll come and attend and sit, soak, and sour, but they never serve. 
And if you don't serve, then you don't find joy because there's something. First of all, some of it is intrinsic joy. We were made to serve. And when we serve, we come alive. Acts 20, 35, Paul said this, and he's quoting Jesus, it is more blessed to give than to receive. And not only is that true because Jesus said it, I mean, obviously it is, but I've personally experienced that in my life. And any of you who've engaged in serving know that, that something in us comes alive. Few things are more satisfying. But some of it is also the shared struggle. We need each other, and the more isolated, the worse we feel. And so when you share the struggle, you get close, and when you get close, you find joy. Watch what he writes to the Philippians. Every time I think of you, I give thanks to my God. Whenever I pray, I make my request for all of you with joy. For you have, underline this part, you have been my partners in spreading the good news about Christ from the time you first heard of it until now. You're my partners, and I've shared my joy when you, when you share the struggle, you share the joy. I think you retreat guys get this, and you, maybe you never knew it, but it's in the process of that struggle that you find joy. And, and it, it comes back to this. When you go to war, you become a band of brothers. There's no better way to say it. I, some of my most powerful relationships that are still in play 30, nearly 40 years later are the moms and dads who were the parents of the teenagers that I served when I first started doing ministry. I'm still connected to those people. People that I've gone on disaster relief trips with. People that I've gone on mission trips with. I mean, nothing makes you come alive more than doing what God wants you to do. And, and so many people miss that. They're like, I'm not going to give up my time. I'm not going to give up my vacation. And I'm like, okay, go on your fake vacation. But when it comes time for a real life experience, you're going to always be bored. There's nothing wrong with vacating. I, I got that. But what are you doing that God has designed you to do? And you grow closer to those that share that struggle. That's been true in my life from the beginning. Bob Bozeman is one of the guys I'm closest to in this church. You know, when I first met Bob, he wasn't a member of this church. 2002, we went on the Ukraine mission trip together. And that's where Bob and I began to forge a relationship. He was my roommate in, in, in Ukraine, uh, him and David Worthington. Y'all remember David. And if you remember David, you know that David can tell a long story. And so Bob and David began to tell long stories to each other at one in the morning. I'm going, guys, I'm begging you, don't start another one, please. You know, and David's like, just one more. Well, coming home, we had, the, we had a layover in Paris. And uh, Bob and I were roommates at our hotel. And we walk into the hotel. And first of all, there's only one bed. And secondly, it's called a micro hotel. Somebody was saving money. A micro, have you ever seen one? The shower's about this big and the bed's about this big. And normally, you know, you look at it and go, I ain't sleeping in that bed with you, but I'll take the floor, you take the bed. But we're both so tired from mission, we spent the night trying not to touch each other, you know. <laughs> and even today, I'll go, you know, Bob, no matter what happens, we'll always have Paris. <laughs> When you share the struggle, you share the joy. Some of it's the joy of seeing lives changed. And that's really where it is for me. I mean, nothing lights me up like seeing marriages get fixed. Like seeing people who are addicted to drugs and alcohol get well. Man, don't ever think that we don't rejoice in that. Don't think that we're judgmental of that. Man, that, that makes me come alive. To see a person who doesn't know Jesus 
And we find joy in that. You know, the saddest thing in the world to me is that, that there are people in churches all over our country, all over this world, who've never shared the struggle. Church is a consumer thing for them. Last thing is I find joy when I consider eternity. You know, it's the craziest thing, but most people don't get too excited about heaven. You know, one of the things that captured my attention when I first became a Christian, really, when I first started attending church, was these young men in the church were super excited about heaven. And I was not super excited about heaven. And they were super excited about the thought of Jesus coming back tomorrow. In fact, one of them said, wouldn't it be cool if we were in a cemetery when Jesus comes back? And I'm like, no, that wouldn't be cool. There'd be nothing cool about that. I don't want to see that. I don't want to be there. And I don't want to see Jesus right now because I don't really know the dude. And I don't want to stand before him as a stranger. But you know, once you come into faith in Christ and you discover the power of transformation and the power of salvation, you start to realize, man, I can't wait to see Jesus face to face. Paul said, we, now we look through a mirror dimly, like through the bottom of a root beer bottle. He said, but someday we're going to see him face to face and we're going to be known fully and we'll know fully. And it's going to be an awesome day. And Paul knew that joy. 2 Timothy, 2, verse 7, 2 Timothy 4, verse 7, I have fought the good fight. This is Paul writing at the end of his days. I've finished the race. I've remained faithful. And now the prize awaits me. See that? The crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give me on that day of his return. And the prize is not just for me, but for all who eagerly look forward to his appearing. He's promised us that crown. And so we have eternity locked up. You know what that means? That means that everything that I face in this life is temporary. Financial setbacks are temporary. Loss is temporary. Sickness is temporary. Hurts and heartaches, they're all temporary. Because I know where it's going to wind up. I've read to the end of the book. I know how this thing's going to end. And I know that God's got a plan and a purpose for all of that. And no matter what happens to me, I still get heaven. And the second thing it means is that nothing that happens to me changes my eternity. That's the beauty of it. Jesus paid the price for sin when he died on the cross. I don't have to pay the price for my sin. I don't have to earn my salvation through my performance. Christ satisfied the wrath of God on the cross. He became my substitute. The one who was without sin became sin on my behalf. So that when I place my faith in what Christ did, I move from the domain of darkness into the kingdom of His beloved Son. My sins are forgiven. My past is forgotten. And get this, my eternity is secure. That's why... I John wrote in 1 John 5, 13, these things have I written that you may know that you have eternal life. You don't have to worry and wonder about it. And nothing you do and nothing you experience in this life is going to change that fact because you are saved by grace through faith. It's the gift of God, not the result of works that no man should boast. And I can rest in that. And I don't have to live in fear and worry and anxiety and all that other junk that the world lives in. We got a world right now that's sad and mad. But we're not called to that. We're called to joy. 
And if you're not living in joy right now as a follower of Jesus Christ, then something's wrong. It's time to exercise your will to walk in gratefulness. It's time to remember His presence. It's time to say to the Father, Father, wherever you are, wherever, wherever I am, you're there, and wherever you are, there's joy. And to find your security in that as you engage in the purposes of God and you rest in the security of the Father. Believer, maybe it's time for you to say, you know what, God? Today I purpose, from this day forward, I'm going to walk in joy. Would you do that? Hey, some of you need Jesus. And it's time for you to say, you know what? It's time for me to give my life to Jesus. He's already done everything necessary for you to have eternal life. All you got to do is turn it over. This morning, we're going to take the Lord's Supper. And the Lord's Supper is a testimony. It's a memorial of the sacrifice of Christ. But if you don't know Christ, I'm going to say to you, the Lord's Supper is not for you. It's like wearing a, a wedding ring without making the vow. If you haven't come to that point, you're not ready to wear the wedding ring. The wedding ring is a symbol of the vow that I made. And I, you don't wear a wedding ring without a vow. And the Lord's Supper is a symbol of salvation. So your need today is not the Lord's Supper. Your need is salvation. And so right after this service is over, I want to invite you to go to our Belong Center over here, or there's going to be one back there, and we'll have some guys there, and they want to talk to you about how you can know for certain that you have eternal life. But let's pray together. Father, we come before you right now. We're your people. And so often we mirror the feelings of our world, and we get trapped in sad and mad instead of joy. So as your people this day, we purpose to live in joy. Father, help us to be grateful. Help us to be aware of your presence. Help us to be about your purpose and remind us that we're secure so that we walk in joy. Father, there are others who need Jesus today. Let today be the new day of the rest of their eternity. And we thank you for that in Christ's name. Amen. Our hope is that this message has encouraged you to seek Christ in your own life and make him known wherever you are. If you enjoyed the podcast, please subscribe on Spotify and Apple Podcasts and share it with a friend. Thanks for listening. We'll be back next week.